This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Aren't you glad the story doesn't have to end like that? But you know, maybe to some degree or another, every single one of us is in a place similar to that with somebody. Forgiveness is not easy, is it? Not tough. So we're going to work through that today. And, I, and as we begin, I want to say this. I'm, I know that forgiving parents is perhaps the hardest thing that there is to do. Then forgiving a wife or a husband. Then forgiving very close friends. Gets a little easier to forgive coworkers. Or maybe it gets a little easier just to cut and run. You know, in that song that Sarah McLaughlin wrote, that's about cutting and running. I put my heart in a place you can't touch, and I'm out of here. I don't want to ever see your face again. Well, this morning I'm going to give you three key understandings, and then we're going to look at a couple of, of, um, of different kinds of forgiveness, and we're going to see five principles about each one. So you're ready to write? Good enough. Here we go. All right. So let's start with key understanding number one. Here it is. By the way, the memory verse from last week, what was it? If the Son sets you free, you will be what? Absolutely free. Let's say that together. If the Son sets you free, you will be absolutely free. That's our goal this morning, that Christ would set us free. So here's key understanding number one. Practicing forgiveness is God's way. It's how God heals our souls and restores healthy relationships. And uh, by the way, it might not be restoring a healthy relationship. It might actually be building one for the first time. But it'll have to start with forgiveness. Now, let's break three words out of that. First of all, practicing. It's important that you understand what practicing means. Practicing means this, that we're going to have to make this a way of life and not an event. I've had people come to my office and say, Pastor, I... I thought I already forgave that person. Why do I still have these feelings? Well, guess what? Forgiveness is not an event. It's a way of life. And you have to forgive a person again and again and again and again. That's what it takes in order for you to be free. Because believe me, that event would love to get back in control of your life and dominate your thinking and your feelings. The only way you're going to get around that is you have to understand that you have to practice forgiveness. The second word there is this. It's the word heals. Okay? Heals means it's God's design for helping us return to normal functionality. Now here's what I mean by that. If you've had a broken bone, then you know that if that bone is broken and it's out of place, that the doctor has to set it, has to put a cast on it, and immobilize it so that it can heal and return to normal functionality. Now, if the doctor doesn't do that, will it heal? Well, of a sort. Yeah, the pain will eventually go away, but your arm will be crooked, and it will never work right because you never did what it took in order to heal that arm so it could return to normal functionality. You will always have less functionality than you could have had. Relationships are no different from that. And so forgiveness 
is sort of like setting the relationship and putting it in a cast. It's what enables it to heal. And then the third word or the third phrase we want to talk about is healthy relationships. It's important that you know that it is possible for every broken relationship in your life and every damaged relationship in your life to heal under certain circumstances. How many of you have heard the phrase, time heals all? Okay? How many of you actually believe that? Good, I'm glad you don't. Okay? Yeah, now we're going to talk about time next week. And next week is a vitally important subject as well. Because next week we're going to talk about, okay, so I've hurt somebody and I've really damaged a relationship. How do I rebuild trust in that relationship so that person can trust me again? And so we're going to talk about how time plays into that. But, but time by itself doesn't heal anything. We're going to talk about the circumstances this morning under which relationships can heal. So there's key understanding number one. Key understanding number two, and this is monumental. And uh, frankly, it was something that uh, was revealed to me and I discovered in doing the research for this particular sermon series. There's more than one kind of forgiveness. It's important that you understand there are two kinds of forgiveness. The first is personal and the second is relational. So let's understand a couple of things about that. Let's take a look at what personal um, forgiveness is. Personal forgiveness is releasing someone who has offended us from being held accountable to us. Now I'm going to spend a huge portion of the rest of this message talking about that. So I don't want to break it down, but I want you to understand it's about releasing someone from being held accountable to us. Relational forgiveness, on the other hand, is working to reestablish a loving and healthy relationship. And it's important that we don't get the two of those confused. And it's important that we don't think that they're one and the same because they are very, very different things. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So let's go to, to key understanding number three is this. Blending the two of those results in confusion, in guilt, bondage, and further hurt. You ever feel like you're walking down that pathway? I've got guilt for not forgiving someone. But I also feel like the moment that I do forgive them, I'm going to open myself to further hurt. And, and, and I feel bound by that. And, and, I, and, and I'm confused. I don't know what to do about that. Oftentimes it's because we've blended the two. And we don't understand the difference between personal forgiveness and relational forgiveness. Now let me ask you five questions. You ready? Here we go. Question number one is, should forgiveness be granted only if the offending person shows remorse? These are probably questions that you had before we ever started this sermon series. Question number two is this. Does true forgiveness require me to release the offending person from the consequences of their actions? We struggle with that, right? They hurt me. I forgive them. They get off free. I pay the price. How's that fair? Question number three. Does true forgiveness require that the forgiver reestablish a relationship with the offending person? 
That's a probing question, isn't it? Number four. Does true forgiveness mean that the forgiver must forget what the offending person did? We've all heard that phrase, forgive and what? Yeah, it didn't work, all right? Number five. You want my real opinion about that? Number five. Are there some offenses so severe that they can never be forgiven? Now, here's the truth that comes out of those five questions, and I want you to understand this. The truth is this. When we fail to distinguish between personal forgiveness and relational forgiveness, we come up with the wrong answer to every one of those questions. Frankly, that's why a lot of us labor under guilt. Because where we should be extending personal forgiveness, we're trying to extend relational forgiveness. And it doesn't work. And sometimes we try to establish relational forgiveness without extending personal forgiveness. That doesn't work either. So I'm going to spend the balance of our time this morning teaching us from God's Word what personal forgiveness is and what relational forgiveness is. So here we go. Let's take a look at personal forgiveness. We're going to learn five things about personal forgiveness. Number one, this is the forgiveness that Jesus commands us to extend to everyone. If you've probably been to church ever in your life or know anything about the Bible or Christianity or about Jesus, you know that one of the basic teaching is teachings that Jesus gives is we don't hold grudges. Now here's how Jesus said it. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. That's 490 for you, those of you who are math challenged, all right? What Jesus is saying is basically, don't keep track. You extend this to everyone. He didn't even say... Uh, that the person comes and asks for forgiveness. He just said, this person sins against me. How how many times should I forgive them? And Jesus is basically saying, every time. Now, why would Jesus require that of us? Because that's not easy. Well, I want to give you four good reasons why he would do that. And so principle number two under personal forgiveness is this. Because it frees us from having to keep score, or more importantly, having to settle the score. So the first thing it does is it frees us. Now years ago, there, there was a commercial put out by the Rolaids company that's, that, that went sort of like this. How do you spell relief? You remember how they spelled it? R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I want to give you a new spelling for relief. Are you ready? And it's not T-U-M-S, all right? The new spelling for relief is F-O-R-G-I-V-E-N-E-S-S. Because until we learn how to genuinely forgive those who have hurt us and maybe hurt us deeply, we don't ever get relief. We carry that burden with us everywhere we go. And so Christ says to us, never take revenge. That would be settling the score. 
In fact, he says, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. What's our biggest fear in that? He won't do this like we would, right? Yeah. He goes on to say, instead, if your enemy is hungry, what? Oh, feed him. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Now listen, here's the rest of it. You know why you want to do that? Because you don't let evil conquer you. How do you conquer evil? But you conquer evil by what? Doing good, not carrying a grudge. First thing you need to know is when you release someone from being held personally accountable to you, it means you no longer have to keep score. You don't have to look at their life and try to figure out, are they getting ahead of you? Are they getting more blessings than you? Are they getting blessings they don't deserve? And if they're getting blessings they don't deserve, why am I not getting those blessings from God? God must love them more than He does me, or God must not know what's going on. You understand? Well, you get in this tally game, and you've got to keep track of everything, and now you, can't, you, don't, you don't just keep track of your own life. Now you've got these other people you've got to keep track of. And every time you're with them, you, you keep track of, it's just craziness, all this stuff, and you get no relief from it because you've never really released them from being held accountable to you. And by the way, if, if all you do is take that accountability and put it on God, and then you check on God to see if He's taking care of it, you understand you didn't actually release it. You just put the onus on God instead of that person. The deal is, you release. Now, friends, this is different from cutting and running. Okay, Cutting and running is when I look at somebody and say, you know, I hope I never see them again. I don't know how I'm going to deal with that. They're out of my life. I forgave them. I moved on. In fact, I can't stand them anymore. No, that's not what we're talking about. And the, and the sad truth is that some of us leave behind a, just a trail of broken relationships because we've actually never learned how to forgive. Our way of getting freedom is to cut and run. Now let's talk about something far more healthy than that. It's learning how to release in a healthy way. So it frees us. The second thing that it does is it frees God. You never knew God was in bondage, right? It actually frees God. It frees Him up to work in their lives in an unhindered fashion. You know what I wrote in my notes? It gets me out of God's way. Because we've already read in the passage we just read, God actually wants to deal with them. And God wants to work in in them. Not, Not to punish them for what they did to you or to me, but God wants to work in them to bring them to a place of repentance and sorrow for what they did and a desire to make it right. But if I keep interfering and I keep keeping score and and I don't extend forgiveness and I can't stand that person and I avoid them and I won't go where they are and when they're, like in the words of the song, when we're in the same place, I look away, I don't want to look at you. Boy, it, it makes it really hard for God to work in their life because I'm in the way all the time. Thirdly, it frees them up. So it starts out by freeing me. It frees God up to work in an unhindered way in their life. And it frees them up to actually hear God's voice. Have you ever noticed 
that when we scream at people, it's real difficult for them to actually hear God's voice. And lots of times we don't scream with our voices. In Hawaii, we had a wonderful word for it. It was called stink eye. Yeah. And when we're avoiding people and giving them stink eye and we won't be around them and all that kind of stuff. I tell you, friends, it makes it very difficult for them to ever hear God's voice because it just muddies the water. So you know what Jesus said? Forgive. Release. Let it go. But don't let them go. There's a big difference between those two. Don't live in denial. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. But in terms of holding them personally accountable to you, and in terms of I'm not going to be right with them until they come and apologize to me. Friends, that's not what what personal forgiveness is. Personal forgiveness you should do whether they come and ask for it or not because you want to release your own soul and spirit from having to carry that garbage around. Let it go. Be free. And you know, if they don't come and apologize, that's not really your problem. That's their problem, correct? Yeah, they're the ones who should feel guilty for that. And if they don't, life's going to go tough for them. Learn how to feel sorry for people who, who, who actually go around and damage and hurt other people. That's really a bad place to be in life. But don't carry them with you. Release. And number five is because it often paves the way for relational forgiveness. It often does pave the way. When I get out of the way and I let God work in their life and, and God's Spirit brings them to a place of repentance and sorrow, it's amazing. I, years ago, I had a staff member who made life miserable for me. Not here, so you don't have to try to figure out I wonder who that was, all right? <laughs> Not here. But I had a staff member who just made life miserable for me. And uh, eventually he left the church and... And he was on his way out of there, and he got a church of his own, and life was all great for him. And meanwhile, I was left trying to clean up the mess. He was about seven years later. I'm now living here. I've planted this church. He's living in Southern California. I get a phone call from him. He said, Ron, do do you have time for a conversation? I said, yeah, sure. What's that? He said, I'm just calling to apologize. I said, oh yeah? What for? Now you know why I said what for? Not because I didn't know. I just wanted to know which of all those things (laughs) he was actually going to apologize for. Right? He said, I want to tell you what God did in my life. He gave me a church and I was a senior pastor. And then he brought me a staff member just like I was to you. Yeah. He said, I never realized. And he said, as I was working with this guy, all of a sudden I started flashing back to the things that I had done. He said, would you forgive me? I said, man, I forgave you a long time ago, but now I can forgive you on a different level. Yeah. 
Do you understand? But if I had set myself against him and continued to keep track and tried to keep score and all that stuff, no, I I wanted to walk in freedom, but it paved the way for that conversation to take place. So now let's flip the coin over and let's look at relational forgiveness because this is where life gets really complicated sometimes. Okay? The first thing that we have to understand about relational forgiveness is because it requires healthy responses from both people, it is not possible with everyone. You got to get that right and you got to understand that. Personal forgiveness, practice with everyone. Relational forgiveness, you can't practice with everyone or you're going to kill yourself in the process. This won't work. In fact, here's what the Bible says. If it is, what's the next word? Possible. As far as it depends on whom? On you. Live at peace with everyone. There's a strong inference there. This is not possible with everyone. And if there's a failing in this, it shouldn't be in your part. It should be in the other person's part. So that's the first thing that you and I have to see. You know what I wrote in my notes? It takes two. And that's the truth. You cannot have a healthy relationship unless both people in that relationship actually want it to be healthy and are willing to work at it. The second thing that you and I need to know about relational forgiveness is this. It must be guided by the level of repentance. The Bible says if another believer sins... Rebuke, that means confront that person. Then, what's the next thing? If there is repentance, forgive. Now, that's a different scripture talking about a different kind of forgiveness than the one that I read to you before where repentance wasn't in the formula. That's where Peter just said, Lord, if someone comes and does something bad to me, how many times do I forgive him? Jesus said, every time. You don't want to carry that with you. But on the other hand, if you're going to build a relationship with that person, you cannot build a relationship with a person around denial. Where they hurt you and you pretend it didn't happen. And they hurt you and you pretend it didn't happen. Now, those of us who have the gift of mercy have to be really, really careful about walking this path. Because this can lead us to a place that's not good. We've got to have discernment in this. And we have to let the level of repentance guide how deeply and how significantly we rebuild this relationship. This is what keeps us healthy. Okay? You know what I, you know what I wrote in my notes? And that is, this is a healthy gauge. So when you're struggling, now, by the way, if you're carrying a grudge, that's personal forgiveness. Let go of that. But if this person is saying, hey, I want to be friends again. Let's go out to lunch again. Let's go do stuff together. In other words, I want to rebuild this relationship. That's when you want to put on the brakes and say, well, wait a minute. I want to talk about, uh, for sure, I want to gauge it by their level of repentance. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, but we probably all have people in our lives that never apologize. They just get icky, sicky, sweet after they did something bad, right? And you know they're trying to make up for it. Okay? That's a form of repentance, but it's not the best form. Okay? And so one of the things that I try to do in my life is when I've got somebody like that, 
you know, I want to address that head on when I have the opportunity and say to them, you know, you did something to hurt me and now you're kind of icky, sicky, sweet to me. It feels to me like you're trying to make up for it without actually apologizing for it. Can we talk about that? Because when we talk about it, then we can get the relationship out on the table where it belongs and neither one of us is walking in denial. Does that make sense to everybody? Super, super important. Okay? So that's principle number three. It's got to be guided by the level of repentance. Principle number three is this. It doesn't circumvent the natural consequences of sinful behavior. Those of you who have the gift of mercy, you know what you love to do? Rescue. It's okay to rescue. But don't confuse rescuing with forgiveness. Because when you rescue someone without bringing them to a place of repentance and you restore that relationship in your life, even though they haven't repented, you know what that's called? Write this down in your notes. Enabling. You didn't forgive. You just enabled. And God doesn't call us to enable the wrong, sinful, and destructive behavior of other people. That's not what he's called us to do. So we can't circumvent those natural consequences from, from someone's bad behavior. Is it okay to feel sorry for them? Shake your head like this. Yeah, it's okay to have compassion, just don't rescue. Because if you rescue, you set them up to do it again. And again, and again. And when someone finally doesn't rescue them, you know what they're going to think? I'm being treated badly. Because no one rescued me this time. I'm not getting what I deserve. When you actually have been enabling that behavior all along. By the way, for those of you who have parents and you have teenage children, listen to me carefully. When you rescue your children from their bad behavior and you separate them from the consequences of their bad behavior, you set them up for terrible marriages. Got really quiet in here, didn't it? I don't care how much you love your kids. If you separate them and you rescue them from the consequences of their poor behavior, they're going to marry somebody and what are they going to expect that person to do? The same thing. Yeah. We can do better than that. Let's practice healthy forgiveness and healthy relational forgiveness. Principle number four is this. It has to take place within healthy boundaries. Take a look at this passage about Jesus. Because before we read it, would you agree that Jesus lived life completely healthily? Would you agree with that? And whatever he did in relationships, that's what we should be doing. Take a look at this. Jesus did not trust himself to them because he knew them all. Can you imagine Jesus not trusting somebody? He didn't trust everybody. He was not an enabler. And he knew there were people you just don't build a relationship with because you cannot trust them. They're not trustworthy. They're destructive. Why would you build a relationship with someone who's going to destroy your life or the people around you? You know what I wrote down on my notes? Why do you build healthy boundaries in your life? 
Simple, simple thing to protect future victims. I want you to write that down. To protect future victims, including yourself. Now, I know a lot of what I'm talking to you about this morning, you're going to have to take and and you're going to have to really process it. But if you want healthy relationships in your life, you have to keep them in healthy boundaries. And when someone steps outside that boundary of health and they hurt you, you don't just extend the boundary around them. Everybody understand? You leave the boundary where it is and you call them back inside the boundary. And if they choose not to come back inside the boundary, what do you do? Well, you diminish your relationship with them. You don't necessarily just cut and run, but you set a healthy boundary so that they don't become destructive in your life. Some of you have parents that, that well, they make your life miserable. Okay? How do you handle a parent like that? You've got Thanksgiving that we just had. Some of you suffered through Thanksgiving in your families. you got Christmas coming and you're already dreading it. And your parents say, you have to come and you got to do this and you got to do that and put all these expectations. No, you don't have to. That doesn't mean you cut them out of your life completely. But what it means is you limit what you do with them based upon the health of the relationship that they carry with you and you carry with them. That's what it means to take responsibility for your life because you got kids. Some of you have kids. Do you want to subject your kids to that unlimited mayhem that maybe your family is? No. One of the saddest conversations I've ever had, and I've had these actually several times, are people who grow up having been sexually abused. And what was worse was the mom knew that the dad or the uncle or the grandpa or somebody else was sexually abusing that child and did nothing about it. Turned a blind eye. It's pretty tough for a kid to handle. Why? Because mom didn't set a boundary. I know kids who were raised by yelling, screaming, angry mothers. And the dad does nothing about it. That's pretty tough for a kid to walk over. Why doesn't my dad set a healthy boundary in our home? And by the way, the sexual abuse can go both ways and the anger can go both ways, okay? There's nothing particularly about men abusing girls or I've, I've seen it on the opposite side as well and Plenty of fathers yell and get angry too. So um, set healthy boundaries to protect future victims. Principle number five is this. The boundaries need to be adjusted according to the progression of the repentance. Here's what I want to say about that. The goal is not isolation. The goal is restoration. Does that make sense? And when I'm working with somebody and they're in an unhealthy space and I set a boundary, as they begin to work to rebuild their life and to get healthy, it's important for me to take that boundary then and begin to relax that boundary 
according to the progression of their repentance. On the other hand, if they start going backwards, I need to do that too, correct? That's why relationships, you always have to monitor. That's why they take work. But that's also the more work you put into them and the more that you make sure that they're healthy, the more productive they are and the more fulfilling that they are. Now I know this morning we've talked about a lot of things. I'm going to give you some time and some space to do some business in your own life with God. There are three next steps that I want you to take a look at. And if you pull out that card that Kevin talked to you about at the beginning, the card that says start here on one side and connect on the other side, go to the side that says connect. Look down under the part that says I would like to apply today's teaching by taking the following next steps. The first one is, I will extend forgiveness this week to at least one person I've been struggling to forgive. Okay? Where should that begin? Personal forgiveness or relational? I'm overwhelmed by your response. Where should it begin? Personal. Absolutely. I will extend a personal forgiveness to someone I've been struggling to uh, forgive. Number two, I will set healthy boundaries this week in a relationship that currently is unhealthy. What kind of forgiveness are we talking about there? Relational. Very important. So I'll set a healthy boundary. And then the third one is this. I will seek God's personal forgiveness for my sins by choosing to make a first-time decision to follow Jesus. Kevin said it to you earlier. Many of us have experienced hurts significant enough that without God's help and God's forgiveness, we're never going to be able to effectively forgive what's been done to us. And it begins by receiving God's forgiveness for the things that we have done. While you take some time to pray about that, don't just automatically check all three unless you really mean all three. Some of you will check only one. Some of you will check two. There will be some in here who would probably check all three. But while you're considering that, I want you to watch the video screens because I want you to understand the real power of releasing the things that people have done against us. Take a look. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.